Go ahead and, and uh, open up to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm chapter 96. In preparation for this morning, I kind of had to go back to the basics. I didn't even know what the word psalm meant. I don't know about you guys. You guys probably didn't either. I don't know. What does it mean? It actually is a Hebrew word, or the Hebrew word for psalm sounds nothing like psalms. It actually means praises. But our English word psalms actually comes from a Greek word, which means a song sung to a musical instrument. I can wrap my mind around that. And so if I think about the word psalm, or psalms, I think possibly a more accurate English word for this book would be praises, or hymns. And hymns, you know, I didn't even know what that meant. So I had to look that up too. I'm pretty dense. Hymns actually comes from a Greek word also. That means songs of praise. So anytime you hear the word hymn, it's a praise song. Anytime you hear a praise song, if it's new up here, it's a hymn. So that's pretty interesting. I can wrap my mind around that too. Regardless of the title, the book of Psalms has been the songbook for God's people throughout all generations. And as you might know, there are many different types of psalms. Psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of just celebration of God's law, historical psalms, wisdom songs, psalms, or songs for that matter. And the one we have right here is actually a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. So as context, this psalm actually appeared before in the scriptures, before you see it here in Psalm 96. It actually appeared for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 22 through 23. We won't read that. We won't turn there. It was a psalm of King David that we, we learn of, and it was used in the dedication of the tabernacle in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. But it has a significance beyond that specific historical event, it has both present-day application and also prophetic implications, like many psalms do. Prophetically, this psalm is actually foreshadowing the millennial reign of Christ. And just as a refresher on that, briefly, the millennial reign of Christ is the future, literal, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth that only believers get to be a part of. It's a time of perfect conditions physically and also spiritually. It's a time of peace, of complete obedience, of holiness, of truth, of the knowledge of God, and Christ reigns during that time. And that particular event is described for us in Revelation chapter 20. Now, if I had to choose a title for this particular psalm, I actually jotted something in my Bible, who knows when, probably years ago. And my title would be this, the mission psalm, in keeping with Mission Sunday here. But here's why I call this psalm the mission psalm. Although it was written by a Jewish king, King David, as we know, and it was written to the Jewish people who were also dedicating their Jewish place of worship, which at that time was the tabernacle, it was also dedicated in the Jewish city of Jerusalem. But all that context, all that Jewishness about that context, this psalm is actually not directed to the Jews. It's pretty interesting. Who is it directed toward? If you look at a key few words and phrases in the psalm, uh, starting in verse 1, you'll see a theme here. Verse 1, you see a phrase, all the earth. Verse 3, you see the nations, the peoples. Verse 7, you see, O families of the peoples. Verse 10, you see the nations. And verse 11, you see the earth. So I just pointed out 
six references to either the earth, the peoples, the nations, or the world in these 13 verses. So we see an overarching theme here. So in this psalm, all the nations of the earth are invited to raise a chorus of worship and praise to the Lord. It's a mission song at its core. And this psalm actually reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Of course, I have a ton of favorite verses in the Bible. But the one that I'm thinking of is in Revelation, where John tells us in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, that the four living creatures and the 24 elders in heaven sang a new song. They're singing this new song to the Lord Jesus. And they say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Psalm 96 reminds me that God is worthy, and he's raising up a mass of humanity from every tribe, language, people, and nation to reign with him and also to worship with him in his kingdom. And if I had to outline this psalm, because some of you like outlines, I'll give you an easy one. You can divide it into three sections. Section one is in verses one through six, and it begins with a command to the nations. The command is to sing. Section two would be verses seven through nine, and the command that's given there is to ascribe. That's not a word we hear every day, but we'll talk about it here in a minute. And the third section would be verses 10 through 13. And the command that's issued to the nations there is to say. So let's talk about that first command. We read in Psalm 96, 1 through 3, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. That exact phrase, sings to the Lord, uh, sing to the Lord, occurs actually 15 times in the ESV version of the Bible that we have here at the fellowship. And you see in verses 1 and 2, we have that command three times, just in two short verses. And if you look at the end of verse 1, you'll see who is supposed to sing. And this is the great theme of this song. Who is to, supposed to sing? It's all the earth. Nobody's off the hook here. I don't care if you have the worst voice possible which that's probably me. We know, but let's talk about singing for a little bit. We know singing is a universal expression across cultures, nationalities, and ethnicities. Whether you go to Ethiopia or Burkina Faso or Mexico, people love singing. And even if you hate singing, you can't tell me that you don't pump up the radio sometimes and belt it out, or at least try to. All of us do, right? All of us sing no matter how pathetic our voices are, and we can all go there, right? The whole earth already sings. We all understand that. The issue is who the earth is singing to, right? And what they're singing about. In verse 1, we see the who of who we're supposed to be singing to. We're supposed to be singing to the Lord. And the song we're supposed to sing is supposed to be a new song. The problem is, generally speaking, the new song the world's singing is not usually to the Lord, right? Case in point, I did something really dangerous this week. I actually Googled Billboard's top 40 songs. I actually found a kind of innocent one. It's in the top 10 now, as far as I understand. It's written by a couple guys. You might know their names. Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber. Any Bieber fans out here? Didn't think so. 
All right, so here's the chorus. And no, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. It goes like this. Because I don't care when I'm with my baby. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel like maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby. I know that's a silly example of a song a whole ton of people are, are singing right now in our country. One of the videos I had had 143 million hits of that song. That's nearly half of our country, basically. The lyrics, though, the lyrics may be new. It was written in 2019, this year, but the content is old, right? The lyrics, if we look at them, they're about another God. You know, which God are they about? The girlfriend God, the my baby God, not the Lord God, right? So let me explain. In the Bible, the word new can be used as a metaphor for spiritual. And the word old can be used as a metaphor for unspiritual or worldly. The Apostle Paul talks to us about this in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, where he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So how might we apply these verses to the songs we sing? You know, Scott just taught us through uh, Colossians in verse 16 of chapter 3 in Colossians. We're instructed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. See, our old song, the song of our old life, might have been fairly harmless, might have been about our baby making us feel better making us feel loved, making us feel like we could deal with the bad nights. Or our old song could have been a little bit darker, right? Could have been about pride or drugs or anger or despair or self-harm or even cursing toward God. Whatever the case, when we sing those old unspiritual songs, are we singing those to the Lord? I really don't think so. I've sung some of those songs in the past, and let me tell you, the Lord was the last thing on my mind. The command... Uh, we are commanded here is to sing a new song, a new song to the Lord. What is this new song? Does that mean we can't sing church hymns because they're old? Well, no, remember, hymns, what does that mean? It means praise songs. So the hymn is a praise song, the praise song is a hymn. Of course not. The new song is a song of salvation, it's a song of deliverance, it's a song of redemption, it's a song of love to God, of newness of life, of joy in the Holy Spirit, it's a song that blesses his name, as we see in verse 2. It's a missionary song, like this very psalm that we have right here. If you look at the end of verse 2 through verse 3, you'll see that genuine praise to God in singing has a couple of components. Verse 2 talks about telling of God's salvation from day to day. That's a good thing to be singing about, right? Verse 3, it will also declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among the people. The question is, you know, what is glory? Glory is great beauty and splendor or magnificence. In other words, declare God's great beauty and splendor, his magnificence among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. So we have this command to sing in verses 1 through 3, and verses 4 through 6 explain why we are to sing to the Lord. Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. In verse 4, we see the Lord described as great. Great is a description we give to many things in the English language. Frosted flakes, definitely great. Baker City, great. Maybe for some of you, Justin Bieber is great. Uh, Or my baby is great. Who knows? But if great means chief or preeminent over others, truly the Lord is the greatest especially when set in contrast to the gods and idols of this world, which are mentioned here in verses 4 and 5. Some of you might say, oh yeah, well those gods, you know, it's not like I worship Indian gods, don't worship Vishnu, don't worship Shiva, I don't bow down to Old Testament gods, Uh, there was Baal, there was Molech, nope, not on my list. But remember, idolatry extends beyond the worship of idols and images and false gods, Right? An idol is anything that replaces the one true God. Pride, power, greed, materialism, self-centeredness, licentiousness, anything that captures your heart more than God is an idol. If we look at verse 5, there's one takeaway truth I want you to learn about idols. How are they described? One word in that verse is pretty significant, and that's worthless. Shiva, Baal, greed, power, lust, whatever it is, worthless. Here's the contrast. All lowercase gods are worthless, but the Lord God is worthy. As we move to verse 7 of this psalm, the command for the earth to sing to the Lord is followed by the command for all people to ascribe. I know that's not a word we hear too often, but here we have it three times. Verse 7 begins like this. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let's talk about this word ascribe for a minute. What does that mean? Some synonyms are attribute, assign, or credit. Some translations actually translate this word as give, like in the King James. So in other words, if we're to refashion that with uh, the synonyms, attribute or give to the Lord, O families of people. Assign or give to the Lord glory and strength. Credit or give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Again, those who are to give him glory in verse 7 are the families of people. Literally, that's translated the tribes. That includes us. Maybe we don't consider ourselves as Americans tribes, but, but basically we are. In verses 8 through 9, we're also commanded to bring an offering when we come into his courts and to worship. And although this psalm is foreshadowing the millennial reign of Christ, when members of all families on earth are going to bring sacrifices to him, we would do well to apply this to our own lives today. Because the word worship in verse 9, it means this, to honor or show reverence, to regard with extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Literally, Literally, that word means to bow down. And so just as the wise men bowed down and worshipped the Lord Jesus at his birth and brought with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what do we bring him when we come to worship? Remember that King David said he would not offer burnt sacrifices that cost him nothing. Let me offer four suggestions for us as application. How can we bring an offering when we come to his courts, maybe a place like this, to worship? First thing I would say, offer a sacrifice of praise. Uh, The author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 15, says this, 
Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's the first thing. Second thing, offer your time. Offer your time and service to the Lord. Maybe go on a missions trip. Saw a lot of videos that talked about that. Maybe help with the kids downstairs. Maybe help upstairs and volunteer to help with the sound and video. Third thing, you can offer your talents. You know, I don't know of any of you that, that help with web design, uh, but use that gifting to add some sparkle and some pixie dust to our website, maybe. maybe. Are you a singer? Are you a musician? Not me, you know. But please, we have a great worship team, uh, but please help us with worship and song. A fourth thing, offer your treasure. Now, I'm off the hook here. I'm not on the church payroll, so I can just say it like it is, right? You, don't, you can't fire me. You could try, I guess. I could be fired from another job, though. You might be saying on this one, time out. You know, you got the big T.O. going on. Uh, does that mean my money? I will say no. It doesn't mean my money. It means God's money that he's given you to manage. You do realize that it's all his anyway, right? He's given you the ability to earn it, and you don't really deserve it. Remember this, you can never outgive God, but God can certainly outgive you. And he's already demonstrating that by sending his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I would encourage you not to miss out on the blessing of giving financially to God's work. And these ministries here are examples of those that benefit from our financial support. As we move to verse 10 of this psalm, the command for all peoples to ascribe glory to the Lord is final, followed by a final command for the nations to say the Lord reigns. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. The Gentile nations this psalm is addressing are to go and proclaim the good news that the Lord reigns. Again, this is foreshadowing the millennial reign of Christ. Presently, God's ruling in heaven, right? But for those of us who haven't been paying attention, he's definitely not reigning here on earth. Yeah, he's reigning in our hearts as believers, but his kingdom hasn't fully been established yet. It's coming, but it's not here yet. If he were reigning, taxes, don't think we'd have to pay those. Police force, probably wouldn't need it. Injustices, we probably wouldn't suffer those. Wars would be non-existent. Diseases, same thing. When the Lord reigns, all the nations of the earth will seek him, like the prophet Micah prophesied in Micah chapter 4. And when the Lord reigns, the Lord Jesus will judge justly and righteously, like the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11. Now when verse 10 says that the Lord will judge with equity, what does that mean? Equity means with justice, without bias, and without favoritism. We don't always see that in our country, right? Or in the world generally. Not so when the Lord reigns. And in verses 11 through 13, we see that when the Lord reigns as is prophesied, all of creation will burst out in rejoicing. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, when I look around at creation, I see tremendous beauty. I see actually the fingerprints of God all over it. But we have to remember that the beauty that we currently see in creation is marred and shackled by the sinfulness of our world. It's only so good. 
And it, it's good to our eyes, but it's only so good. It's not perfected. It's held in bondage and groaning just as we are until the day when all things are redeemed. And we're looking forward to that. And we learn this from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. But in verses 10 through 13, we learn that the day is coming when the groaning of creation will turn, it will change from sadness to gladness to rejoicing to singing. And let me pause here for a moment of application in conclusion on this Mission Sunday. Uh, Likely in this room, there are some of you here today who maybe sing to other gods rather than to the Lord. Maybe you ascribe glory to yourself rather than God. Maybe you say among the nations, I sit on the throne, I reign, not God. If that's you today, if you have no tenderness in your heart for the things of God, it's very unlikely that your heart is his. Does that concern you? If the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of the darkness of your heart, then you need to turn to God. That's an old-fashioned word that I chose to leave out. It means repent. That means changing your mind and behavior. It's turning to God in prayer and in action. It's doing a 180. Instead of walking with the current of the world, you turn. Not a 360, right? Toward the world, but a 180 toward God. That's how you need to respond. The prophet Isaiah expresses it like this, and this is a verse that really impacted Charles Spurgeon. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, exclamation point. For I am God and there is no other. Let me add this. Turning to God is costly. It may cost you everything this world has to offer. It may very well cost you your life. But this one thing I know, Jesus is worth it. Consider this quote that was written in the diary of the martyred American missionary. His name was Jim Elliott. He said this. I love this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So at this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as they sing, I'm going to invite those who want to accept Christ in their lives to come to the front row just over here. And sit with me. After the service is over, I want to talk with you about becoming a Christian. I want to pray with you. And finally, I have a closing verse for us to read as a final encouragement. If you can open your Bibles, if you have them, to Micah chapter 4, verse 5. The prophet Micah says this, For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, apply these truths to our life in such a way that we make a decision to choose this day whom we will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.